How's it going? Susan Ruth here. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hey Human Podcast. This is episode 196, part one, because there's a 196 part two. I'm releasing them both on the same day. Hopefully you'll listen to part one first and then go to part two because part two references some things from part one that obviously you have to listen to part one first to understand. You know how stuff works. It's math. Uh, Athena is my guest on this episode. She came over and we talked about so much stuff. Obviously enough to make two episodes. I wrote down some words uh, while I was listening back that uh, pertain to these two episodes. Psychedelic strippers, understanding, forgiveness, growth, assault, burning man, world traveler, indigenous women, family, uh, religion, sexuality, partnership, men and women, love. That's a lot. A lot of stuff there. Really interesting conversation. Uh, Athena is, she's on a plane as of, well, while I'm recording this, she went on a plane yesterday, traveling to a great adventure. And Athena's website will be launching by the end of February. I talked to her yesterday via text. She was on a plane and they're having a little bit of a technical glitch on the website, I guess, but they are in motion and it should be up and running by the end of the month. So that will be available then. In other news, of course, social media, Hey Human Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. My personal social media is Susan Ruthism, and that is Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, you can find my website, SusanRuth.com. That's got my art and my music. Always good to promote that stuff. And HeyHumanPodcast.com is where you're going to find links for every episode, all the information that we pack into a conversation. You can find tidbits there, uh, books and movies and research articles and articles in general. All that kind of stuff will be there on the links page. Yeah, that's that's it. Uh, this is part one, like I said, and part two is also posted. So, you know, they're both out there for you to listen to. Thank you for listening. I appreciate it. Email me, Susan at HeyHumanPodcast.com. Let me know what you think. If you have any ideas for my 200th episode, which is coming soon, and rate and review Hey Human on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Here's Athena, part one. Athena, welcome to Hey Human. Thank you. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thanks for coming over. I'm happy to be here. We caught you right before you leave the country. Yes, I'm getting ready to jump to Panama. It's exciting. Yeah. What are you going to do there? Um, well, I'm going to go explore living with tribes. I'm going to start by uh, going into the Darien National Park. <clears throat> And then uh, there's three different tribes that live in the Darien. It's um, a park that's right on the border between Panama and Colombia. And then I am um, hopefully going to live with one of the tribes for a period of time mm -hmm. and take on the woman's role. I'm a woman, so take on the woman's role and learn what it's like to live as a woman in that particular tribe. Um, and then I'm going to go to an event called the Tribal Gathering, which is uh, an 18-day festival that is um, an indigenous immersion. Uh, there'll be representatives from 90 different tribes from all over the world mm -hmm. uh, that come together for this one event. 
you know, Aborigine, Maori, um, all sorts of uh, Asian tribes and South American, North American, all the way up to the Eskimos and the Inuits and all these representatives that come to share their knowledge. That is amazing. Yeah, and they share their plant medicines too. Holy cow, how did you learn about this? Um, a friend of mine actually told me about it when he's like, oh, if you're going to be down there, there's this really cool event you should check out. And he's never even gone, but he'd heard about it. And then I did some research online about it and read some reviews and it sounded fascinating. And 18 days is a really long period of time to have an event. The first 14 days is indigenous immersion, where you immerse yourself in all the different workshops that the tribes have to offer. And then there's music in the evening, but again, it's indigenous unplugged music. And the last four days is what I call formulaic music festival, where you have yoga classes and meditations and then DJs with loud amplified music and crazy mm -hmm. dancing all night long. So it was happenstance that you picked this area and that there just happened to be this big festival? Uh, I picked the area because of the okay, festival. Got it. Right. Uh, my original thought was that I was going to go to like El Salvador or um, or Nicaragua first, and then go to Panama, and then I thought maybe Cuba, and I looked into going to Cuba, and then as my idea around living with tribes and filming myself living with tribes and and that life and really telling the woman's the indigenous woman's story uh, then it started formulating into where are these tribes and when i realized that there are so many different tribes that live in panama either on the san blas islands or in the darien or and darien is south panama northern panama has all sorts of other tribes i was like there's a plethora in this one area and it makes sense why tribal gathering is in panama so exciting so that's why i decided to still be in panama for a month and a half almost two months and i'm not scheduling anything after the festival i'm leaving it open i can go and do if i meet some tribes and they're like hey come live with us we are in wherever exactly uh -huh. we're in colombia come live with us then i can just go yeah. And I don't be like, well, I already have this plane ticket and I'm already going to go over here. And I'm I have... supposed to go see Batman Returns again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I have tickets. Exactly. But I'm not, no, I'm not going to go. I, I'm, I'm open to whatever. And actually, I, that's the way I did my last trip. So 2019, when I went to Cusco, Peru to learn Spanish, that was all I had on my schedule. And to see the eclipse in La Serena, Chile. Those were the two things that I had scheduled for 2019. And everything else that I did, all of that adventure was happenstance, was opportunity, was possibility for something really cool to happen. It's a very exciting way to live a life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Let's, let's, take, let's take you from the beginning. Where are you from? <laughs> I am a sweet Jewish girl from Corpus Christi, Texas, which means I was born in the body of Christ. Oh. Good. <laughs> as we all are. As we all are. Um, Deo. Uh, or the day, day, I. Day, ah. Um, so, yeah, I, I was born in Corpus Christi, Texas. And uh, as you can guess, there are not a lot of Jews in Corpus Christi, Texas. So, which is a very small, um, close knit community. Mm -hmm. And so I sort of feel like all those kids I grew up with were brothers and sisters to me. 
Um, but Corpus was a, it's a great little town. Mm-hmm. And um, right on the ocean, on the Gulf of Mexico. Modern hur- towns are the best. Hurricane okay. Alley. Yeah. You oh, know, yeah. so I went through quite a number of hurricanes and boarding up the house boarding up the house and seeing a fair share of tornadoes and um um but it's not like an earthquake at least with a hurricane you know it's coming and you can pretty fairly predict where it's going to go and prep for it and prep for it for the most part Mm -hmm. um over the years of all you know my 50 some odd uh, just shy of 50 years of living um, the hurricanes have gotten exponentially worse. Just for, I'm not a meteorologist. Just as a person observing hurricanes, they've gotten a, a lot worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And when I was a kid, I mean, Hurricane Allen was in 1980. And I remember sitting outside just in the rain. You know, in the, we were on the stoop, so it was kind of protected. We were in mm-hmm. my dad's medical office. And, uh, and we went out to where like the cars would normally drive through and we just sat there and watched the wind and the rain and things blowing down the street and it was bad i mean that was a bad hurricane it wasn't that bad hurricane allen to me is such a funny i know that they name hurricanes after people and tropical storms after people but allen i just I feel like that's a hurricane that's wearing a pink polo shirt. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's a yuppie hurricane. It's a yuppie hurricane. He just comes and he's like, I'm going to come through. I'd like some champagne. <laughs> I was born shortly after Hurricane Celia, which is considered the, was at the time, considered the deadliest hurricane in, in Texas history. Hmm. But the problem with Celia is nobody, there wasn't, it was 1970, so we didn't have cell phones. We didn't have internet. We didn't have a really good way of communicating with people. So the eye of the storm hit Corpus Christi. Everybody went and hid, and the hurricane happened, and then the eye of the storm hit, and it was huge. It was a huge eye. Sunny, beautiful, gorgeous still, and people came out. And they came out to the beaches because it was just stunningly gorgeous. And then the back end of the hurricane hit, and the back end is always worse than the front end. And there was a storm surge that of epic proportions. I mean, according to the newspaper articles, whatever. And a lot of people died and got washed out to sea, and houses got destroyed, and people started taking... I mean, it was a big eye. People started taking the boards off their houses. They thought everything was done, and, and it wasn't. Mm, and um, How horrifying. And then I was born... Couple weeks later, so my mother was nine months pregnant during this horrible hurricane, and they only boarded up one side of the house, and so the hurricane like hit that side, and then the back end of the hurricane hit and broke all the windows out because they didn't board up the whole house. I haven't known you for very long, but it makes complete <clears throat> sense that you were born during a hurricane. <laughs> <laughs> totally fits you. Yeah. <laughs> what? Uh, how long did you stay in Texas? All my life. Born and raised. Mm -hmm. Uh, I didn't leave Texas until I was uh, 24, 25 years old. Did you go to college there? Yeah. And you studied criminology? Criminal justice, yeah. I got a degree. I got a bachelor's degree in uh, criminology. And uh, my specialty, I mean, it's not... It wasn't like on my degree, my specialty, but most of the courses that I really got into was studying the psychology behind mass shootings and behind serial killers. Mm, fascinating stuff. Super uh, fascinating I'm really stuff. Learning about that stuff. Yeah. Well, watch Mindhunter. It's really good. Yeah, I yeah I I saw Mindhunter and then I I wanted to interview who that's based on and I reached out to his offices and 
because of Mindhunter. He was just so extraordinarily busy. So he politely declined. They were very nice about it. But then it turned out that in Nashville, uh, there's a guy uh, who came up in the same when all that started came up with him and so I interviewed him oh very cool yeah so I had a profiler slash hostage negotiator slash uh, Dan Hodges is his name okay yeah and uh, it's a really interesting episode chillest dude I have ever met in my life so chill it was unnerving almost he was so calm and I thought well I guess if you're dealing with this kind of stuff you'd have to be and I remember I was going to be going to uh, the the body farm to, to to interview a really fascinating woman about that whole you know where the forensic lab where they put the bodies oh, yes. out and the bodies decompose and uh i don't think they like it being called the body farm but for the life of me i can't suddenly remember the actual name of it um and uh, i said any any advice if i'm gonna I didn't know if I was going to be allowed to go out into the field. I wasn't. But he said, well, I always found Vicks Vapor Rub worked really well. You stick that in your nose, you can deal with any anything. And I thought, all right, that, that's cool. But it didn't, it didn't come to that. Donnie Stedman, Dr. Donnie Stedman was that episode. And, oh, wow, what a... I cried through half of it. It was such an intense experience. I had a hard time taking forensics. I it's had two forensics classes I had to take, and it was, that was the hardest class, hardest class. I actually was going to school, I wanted to be a profiler. I wanted to go all the way through, get my PhD, and become a profiler, and by the time I got done with four years or five years of college, I was like, I'm out of here, I'm going to go to California, be an actress, I'll just play one on TV, and I did. I played a forensics toxicologist on the show The Practice. Shut up, that's so yeah. cool. Yeah, it I was very that. cool. What I love about you is that you uh, have embodied so many things in oh your my life. god yeah and I, I love that because that's what life is for yeah and you really are i mean i joke that you were born in a hurricane but you really are this force of nature that that says i want to do that i'm gonna go do that mm-hmm. without the boundaries of i don't you know whatever is in your personality were you always like that yeah yeah it was uh, actually if you were to interview my mom it would be very interesting too um because she would tell you that there was no stopping me my parents job was literally just to like make sure the cars didn't hit me when i ran out into the street it's not stopping me from running out into the street it's stopping the cars so like that's what my parents like they would not that they literally had to do that but that's just the analogy sure the metaphor the metaphor for that makes sense you know you can't you can't stop her you just gotta let her let her do her thing and i was always like that and sometimes i did things that my parents were not happy about but i had to do them and um, I, prime example is when I went to college, I became a stripper because I could make a ton of money, had a great body, make a ton of money, work in the evenings, classes during the day. It was perfect, you know, and um, and it wasn't like something I was trying to hide. I was just talking to a friend of mine about it. And she's she was like, how did you keep like your friends from knowing? And and, and I'm like. Why would I keep my friends from knowing? I, it's more money in my pocket. If they want to give me their money, I'm not going to stop them. Mm-hmm. And I was mom to a rugby team, like the team mom. So all the guys would come into the strip club and they'd sit around the stage because they didn't have a lot of money. Wait, that's some edible shit. <laughs> team mom, are you going to go see mom strip? I love yeah. <laughs> and so the boys would come in and, you know, and then, and they were all cute. Oh, in yeah. good shape. Rugby players. Rugby. Yeah. 
boys. Ugh, so adorable. And, and so, how old are you at this time? 20. 20. Let's see, I started stripping when I was 21, 22. So 92, 92, 3, 4, and 5, maybe even 96. What did you, did you did the money draw you to it? Is that why or money draw me to it? Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I had a roommate and she um, her name was Kelly and she was like six foot uh, four. Whoa! She's like super, super tall, tall, long legs, blonde. She was the poster child. Actually, she was Miss Texas once. She was literally that tall, big, blonde hair poster child for what Texas looks like with the long blue jeans and the cowboy boots and that. That was Kelly. And oh, I don't remember her last name. Anyway, she um, she went, she's like, I'm going to go get a job. And, and uh, she went down to Houston. Houston and Huntsville are a 45-minute drive from each other. So she went down there and came back at like 2.30 in the morning and I'm asleep. And she starts jumping on my bed, throwing cash at me. Now, I'm asleep, so picture this for a moment. I'm asleep, I'm lying on a bed, and a six foot four woman starts jumping on my bed on top of me, throwing money at me, and I'm like, what the fuck? And she's just like this towering, <laughs> scary creature. Yeah, I wonder how many listeners are like, I've had that dream. <laughs> <laughs> I've had that dream. That was my reality. She had a little girl, too. She had a daughter. So I was babysitting the daughter while she was going to make money. And she made a lot of money. She made like two grand that night. And I'm thinking, gosh, she can make money. I can make money. So the next night, we got a friend of ours to babysit. Um, the child. The child whose name I can't remember. Okay. <laughs> and um, and uh, it was like Paige or Penny or sort of the P. Um, and we went down together and, uh, and that's how I got my name Athena was because I went down there and they were like, well, you can't exactly strip. You can't strip by your real name. So you have to get a, a stage name. And, uh, and my name was Carol, which isn't a good stripper name. I don't know why I laugh every time you tell me your name was Carol, Carol. because it's so not you. I know. It cr- I look, even my mother. It just even makes me laugh. my own mother <laughs> is like, yeah, you're not. You're, I mean, you're my Carol, but you're not really a Carol. You're, you're more of an Athena. Um, so <laughs> I went down there and the manager, Lewis, he said, well, you look like my sister and my sister's name is Athena and I don't have an Athena in the club so why don't you be Athena and I thought Athena's fucking badass mm-hmm. absolutely I can cuss right mm-hmm. okay great because that's just how I talk you get to just be you great welcome S- to the human experience yay <laughs> uh, so um, so I I became Athena and I started stripping as Athena well then all my rugby boys started calling me Athena too because they liked the name better and so they were calling me Athena and um, I did have some college professors come into the club, but I had a rule that while I was actively enrolled in your class, I was not going to do dances for you because I didn't want anybody to think that the A I got wasn't earned. Um, well, well, at least... Yeah. And anybody knows you. You're know, so smart as a whip, so I imagine... By classwork. And they were fine with that, yeah. but then they would come to me and say, 
you know, they, they would come into the club and I'd be like, well, I can't dance for you. And they're like, well, but I like her. And so then I would get the girl that they wanted and sit her down and let them have conversation and do it. So you did lap dances. And I did lap dances. Tell me about that because I've, I've always wanted to ask somebody who has done that. What that was that like? I imagine it's a very powerful feeling. It's it's powerful. So there's there's two thoughts on stripping. There's the this is objectification and uh, abuse of women. Um, and then there's the other thinking, which is this is objectification and abuse of men. I don't think it's either. Uh, but the people who don't like the strip clubs, that's what they claim. Well, and it might be that for some people. It might be that for yeah. some people. For the club that I was in, a lot of the girls were college students. Some of them, there was one girl working on her PhD. Um, a few getting master's degrees. Lots of girls getting their bachelor's degrees. There's just a lot of college students um, uh, working at the St. James, which is the club I worked at in Houston. Is it still around? It's still around. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Baptist Church tried to burn it down. Hmm. They had cameras up all over the parking lot, and so they caught the people. They have them on film, actually lighting the club on fire. Hmm. Cars, license plates. I don't remember that section in the Bible. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> and then when they traced the whole thing back, they found out it was the Baptist church down the street. And, um, and then the club got built bigger, better, more beautiful than ever. Hmm. It's not the club I, I danced at because... But it's even better. Mm. Um, but yeah, St. James was... Hell of a steak dinner. Hell of a, Actually, yes. Hell of a steak dinner. <laughs> strip clubs I've been in. I Some just of heard, the, they always have the steak dinner. It makes me giggle. And uh, we had steak and lobster. Um, and then we had great dessert. Our chef would win Taste of Houston year after year after year. He's one of the best chefs. We had golf tournaments where people could sign up and all the girls were caddies. And we would ride around in the golf courts in little stripper outfits. And the guys would play golf. And then the... For um, charity? Yeah, yeah, the money would get donated to like the children's hospital mm -hmm. or some sort of charity that would be willing to accept our money. We've had charities that said, no, we don't want your money. I'm like, really? Mm -hmm. Yeah. We're here to help. Everybody's entitled to their, you know. Like, so, okay. All right. So you're, you're so in. So that's how I became of, Athena. Okay. And you're in. Tell me about the lap dancing because I am curious. Oh, lap dancing. So um, lap dancing is how you make money quicker because one song is $20. Um, I wonder if it's gone up. I just had that thought. I'm like, you know, it was $20. Inflation. Inflation. That's a new word. Inflation, I'm sure. Well, but I don't know. I mean, $20 is so simple to just hand over mm. 20 I wonder if it has. But so one song, a uh, song being about five minutes long. So you could earn, um, what is that? It's five minutes, you'd get uh, $200 in an hour. Is that right? No. One, two, three, four hundred dollars in an hour. So I could make four hundred dollars an hour. So if I had a guy that just wanted me to dance song after song after song, sometimes I would just, you know, like four hundred dollars in an hour. Here you go. And they'd hand me four hundred dollars and I'd dance for an hour. Knowing that they were likely being brought to orgasm for in some cases, was that ever weird? For I've you? actually never had a guy really have an orgasm. Is while that only I danced. in the movies? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. I mean I've heard of it happening. I don't think I've actually ever heard of it happening firsthand. Hmm. I think that really only happens in movies. <laughs> yeah, I think you need two hands. But yeah, I've never, I've, I've never had a guy orgasm while I was lap dancing for him. Mm -hmm. I've had guys get really turned on. Mm. Um, I've had guys tell me to stop 
because it was getting close. But I've never had a guy be like, I need a napkin. Like, I've never, never had that happen. I was making anywhere from $1,500 to $2,000 a night just lap dancing with my bottoms on. I didn't like dancing nude. It just wigged me out. I'm like, I don't want my naked cooch on a pole that somebody else's naked cooch was on. I mean, that's I mean, you clean it sense. and I get it. You spray it with alcohol and you clean it and I get it. It was just still. It wasn't your thing. Wasn't my thing. And you're not allowed to drink alcohol in nude clubs. So money flows freer when there's alcohol. So I could make more money. And in Texas, they could accept credit cards for dances. So they would hand over their credit card for their meals and their drinks and their dances. And we would take a matchbook and you would do a dance and I'd fold a match. You do a dance, I'd fold another match. And then I would show how many matches and I'd tell the waitress and she would write it up. I saw the most I ever saw anybody charge on a credit card was $15,000 on a corporate card. Mm-hmm. And it was three guys, um, and they were doing business, mm-hmm. and it was a corporate expense. Mm-hmm. And it was dances. Just like the movies. And dances, and cognac, and cigars, and just like the movies. It was dances, cognac, cigars, and steak. Mm-hmm. And they had a great night. But plenty of people, two, three, four, five thousand dollars on their credit card. And it was the Baptist Church. <laughs> it was the Baptist Church. Lots of politicians, lots of oh, sure. uh, used car salesmen. Um, one of my regular clients was a used car salesman. I will say I actually made most of my money not dancing. Most of the money I made was just sitting with guys, sharing a meal, talking. If I'm going to sit at your table for song after song after song, you still have to pay me for those songs because I could be dancing somewhere else. Well, I mean, there you are. The the bottom line is companionship. Yeah. The bottom line is companionship. Seeking a friend for the end of the world. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes these guys had no social skills. Like I had one client. I, I loved this guy. He was the epitome of a sweet human being and I really hope that his life had turned into something wonderful with a wonderful partner and woman in his life and kids and everything he ever wanted but zero social skills he was a computer programmer for a company called Soft Image Soft Image is now Microsoft but this was before Microsoft existed this is Texas during the oil tech boom this was stupid ridiculous money flowing at an amazing rate in the early 90s in Houston. The oil boom was at its height and our tech boom, Texas Instruments and Soft Image, and both of those companies will equidistance away from the St. James, which was in the middle. Soft Image <laughs> sounds like a, a soft porn it does. star name. Soft Image. Yeah. But they pronounce it Soft Image. Yeah, sure. Um, remember the Chevron commercials with the dancing cars? He did the programming on that. So... Um, How many married to not married, or did people take their rings off? I assume there's probably a nice handful of... I I would assume 50-50, but we had a lot of people come in with their wives. Sure. Absolutely. And I loved sitting with guys with their wives. Yeah, a lot of my girlfriends go with their boyfriends, or girlfriends go with their girlfriends, or that kind of thing. If I saw a couple come in, I'd beeline to that table. Because then I get to dance for the woman, which was so much more fun than dancing with the guys. And the guys always loved watching their woman get a lap dance over and over and over again. And then I would have this great conversation with them. I actually even, I had a client who was a VP at a, um, at a uh, 
uh, oil company, gas company, um, uh, Texaco. And he, he'd come in with his wife all the time. I'm just not going to say names. No, of course not. He'd come in with his wife all the time. And at one point in time, they asked if I would go on vacation with them. Well, it was a conference that he had to go to, and she was going to. And they asked if I would go because then she wouldn't be lonely. A lonely. And I'm like, well, aren't there like other wives that are going? And they're like, yeah, but I don't like any of them. They're all catty, and they just want to go shopping, and I want to go on adventures, and you seem really cool, and would you come with us? And ultimately, I said no. That doesn't sound like you. <laughs> I know, I know. Well, we had had a girl disappear out of our club about oh. a year earlier. Mm. And there are the stories of the girls that go on vacations with their clients, and then you never see them again. Mm. Um, and this was out of the country. Mm. That makes sense. So your common sense popped so up. So I was like, yeah. oh, you're really great. You're also super fucking powerful, and I'm just a 20-something stripper. So I don't know. And I told them I'd think about it. And I talked to some of the other girls. And they were like, don't do it. Don't do it. And then I ended up not doing it. And I always wonder in my head, I wonder what would have happened if I had gone. Do you remember the name of the girl that vanished by any chance? Um, oh, I, stripper name. Oh, yeah. Good point. I don't know what her real name is. Sure. Beautiful, blonde, blue-eyed. Aurora. Went on vacation with a client. We never saw her again. Hmm. And there's no recourse, I guess. For what? Don't know who the client is. Mm. Don't know who the, you know. Yeah. I don't know who her family is. Don't know who to contact. Don't know. Don't don't. Perfect. Don't know anything about her personal life. That's a great playground for a person, a bird of prey. Yes. Mm. Strip clubs are strip clubs and prostitutes are a great source for bird sex workers. Yeah. Yeah. They, they get a. Yeah. Yeah. Big time. But, I, you know, I was just trying to play it as smart as possible. I was arrested in the club. Yes. For? Uh, public indecency. I'm in a fucking strip club. So I got arrested for public indecency. They raided it. They raided the club. They took out 12 girls. I was one of the 12, one of the dirty dozen, we called ourselves, uh, on Christmas Eve because they're fucking assholes. That and is Vice such has a no movie. And Vice has nothing better to do on Christmas Eve. Yeah. They can't even be with their own fucking families. They have to come in and raid our club midnight on Christmas Eve. Fuck you. The only people that are in the club are the loneliest people on earth. Mm. And this is what you're going to do. There were six officers that came into the club to get dances earlier in the evening. And then they came in at midnight and they raided the club and they took 12 of us in a paddy wagon. And then we all had to spend Christmas in jail because there isn't a judge on the face of this mm -hmm. earth that would hear our case. Did you get bailed out by your parents? No. Mm -mm. No, I just... Uh, I called my brother-in-law, who's an attorney. Mm -hmm. Very high-powered attorney in Houston. So I called him, but there was nothing, like there was no bail set. There was nothing until the judge came in on Monday. And this was Christmas Eve, Friday. Saturday was Christmas, and it was a Saturday. Sunday, jack shit happens in Texas on a Sunday. So we had to wait till Monday morning. I'm glad y'all were together, at least. We were together, and all the girls, like, and I was getting ready to graduate. So all the girls were, like, cl like cl clinging on to me. There was at one point in time I was, like, sitting on a table with my back up against the wall and the girls were on the bench seats and everyone had like an arm on me in some way to stay connected and we were all and then there was a woman in the holding cell that had stabbed her husband to death there was 
like an open pit toilet that was just disgusting. And they fed us white bread with bologna and American cheese three meals a day. Ugh. That's all we got. And a cup of water. Did you talk to the lady that stabbed her husband? We tried. She only spoke Spanish. One of our girls spoke a little bit of Spanish. So that's how we got that that's what she did. He beat her silly. Mm. He was beating her silly. And uh, and she went completely crazy because that's what happens. You go from silly to crazy and stabbed him to death. Mm-hmm. Um, and her only regret is that their son saw it. Oh, boy. Oof. So he watched it go down. So now her son is with... Um, protective services child protective services and she's stuck in this cell and it was christmas eve Mm. and she lost her shit when he came home drunk and blah blah you know it was like typical story came home drunk christmas eve started fucking up all the gifts the son is crying i don't know how old the son was son is crying he slaps her around a few times she can't take it anymore goes into the kitchen grabs a knife and uh and stabs him Mm. Multiple times. I was on um, the tram or whatever coming back from the airport last night. And uh, everybody's tired. It's 11.30 at night. And there is a a woman, Latina woman, and her son, who's probably four, maybe adorable. Excuse me. And then a man, a white guy, standing young, uh, wearing one of those... um, uh, what do you call it? Sort of the ponchos that are made out of the fabric that have the stripes across. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you, saw, you see him on the beach for yeah, sale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, he was staying there, and I, I, he had a wedding ring on him. I wasn't sure if they were all together because he wasn't engaging in them at all. And the little boy is just locked on mom. And she's trying to make him laugh. She's got his big dragon in her arms. And, you know, he keeps kicking off her shoe, his shoe. And she's like, you're going to lose your shoe. And then he'd put it back on and giggle. And she touched her foot to his foot. And I was watching this engagement thinking, God, this is so cute, but there's something also weirdly tragic about it. And I couldn't put my finger on what it was, but it had this feeling of sadness. And I kept looking at the man standing who didn't really look like he was with them. And I thought, I wonder. And then the the guy that was sitting next to the woman stood up and got off for his thing. And the man sat down or the young man sat down next to her. And the look on the boy's face when he looked at this man, who was clearly not dad, um, there was this look in his eye, like he, he it was eggshell look, you know? And then back at mom and just focused on mom and mom's trying to make him laugh and all this. And I just, I could see the whole story yeah. playing out. Like, like what that whole thing is. She's married to this guy who is not kind yeah. to the child and likely not to her. And she's spending all this energy on this child rightfully so to protect him and keep him in this world of dragons yeah. and love and that no matter what's going on outside of that bubble and fuck it was a lot to see you know pretty wild and then they got off on their stop and I just said a little prayer yeah for that little boy <clears throat> yeah life yeah well there were plenty of girls in my club who were single moms trying to make ends meet there were girls in my club who were drug addicts mm. trying to make ends meet. Mm. Um, and then there were lots of college students. Did you do any of that, uh, the drugs or alcohol? Did I didn't do... Um, I, I smoked a little pot when I was in college. Um, I tried cocaine once and 
ended up being so annoying to myself and everyone around me that my friends tied me to the tree outside my house. They, uh, they tied my back to the tree and they sat me down and they're like, you're going to stay there. We're going to check on you. And when you, and they did, they would come out. It was my house. It was my fucking house. Um, but everyone, they had cocaine and they were like, they're like, oh, let's do a little, and I did a little bump up each nostril. And then it was like, eh, I don't like that feeling. And then I'm already, as you can tell, hyperactive. <laughs> so, so it just made that worse. And then my, any semblance of a filter I might have had disappeared. And I would tell you everything that was wrong with you and why and how you should fix yourself. And they realized that That's if I was a good great quality. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, if you're going to have any friends by the end of this evening, we need to pull you out of this party. So I love those guys. Um, and they did. They pulled me out of the party and they tied me to a tree and they brought me water and they would check on me. They'd be like, nope, you're still a bitch. We're going to go back inside. And then one of the girls would come out and they'd be like, so are you hungry? Do you want something to eat? And I'd be like, you shouldn't wear your hair like that. They're like, nope, you're still a bitch. We're going to go back inside. And, and I knew I was doing it and there was nothing I could do. I was like a little voice inside my head. It was like it was like the movie Get Out, where like I was like this little creature in the back of my head. No, no, don't say those things. And then my mouth was being controlled by somebody else. Mm -hmm. yeah. I've never done cocaine since. I did it once. I've never done cocaine for since. the good of mankind. For the, all the good of humankind. <laughs> never going to do cocaine again. But it also made me very very sick. So uh, the next day I had horrible diarrhea and just stomach problems. And my friends are like, well, you know, if you did it more often, you, your body wouldn't react that way. Same thing happened with cigarettes, too. I smoked a cigarette, like three puffs in. I projectile vomit across the room like the exorcist. And the, my friend's like, oh, that sometimes happened. You just got to keep doing it till you get used to it. And I'm like looking at this vomit I now have to clean up thinking, no. I'm not going to keep trying that. So one cigarette in my entire life, two bumps of Coke, you know, one up each natural in my entire life, both made me horribly sick and a horrible person. I just was like, no. And not, you're not really not a, a drinker either. No, I mean. Are you sober or are you just I'm don't? not sober. I mean, I'll have a sip every now and then, mm -hmm. but I'm such a lightweight. Mm -hmm. and it well, you're about four pounds anyway. Yeah, you're, that, you're a tiny I'm person. I'm a tiny person. Yeah. yeah. I'm a tiny person. I'm very petite. I've always been very, very petite, except for my ass. Got that. Spades. In fact, it looks like a spade. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I'm not, I'm not a drinker now. When I was in college, I could put together, put away a pony keg by myself, um, which for me is a lot of beer. It's like a normal you person putting away. You are the size of a pony keg, so yeah, yeah that's a lot for Yeah. yeah. Um, so I did my fair share of drinking. I love whiskey sours and I was in college. Mm. So smoking pot and drinking, that was mainly what it was. Um, I was in Texas, so certain things were really easy to get like mushrooms. So you just walk out into a cattle field, you get your mushrooms, you dry them, you boil them, you drink it. And that was like a Saturday. It was like, I didn't even realize mushrooms were illegal until I got to California. I have a degree in criminal justice. It didn't occur to me that mushrooms were illegal until I got to California and I had to buy them. And the person I was buying them from was like all like a drug Sketchy, dealer. Yeah. And I'm like, wait a minute. I don't. Holy shit. These things are, are illegal. 
They grow in shit. They're just there. Why is that illegal? Mm. I still don't actually understand why mushrooms are illegal. They're not really now. And they're starting to use them in, in, in medicine. helping medicine. Yeah. Yeah. They're huge. They're, they're and, phenomenal. And they also at one point weren't, and then they were. Well, in, you Oakland know, has, in Oakland, they're legal. Mm. That's the first place that decriminalized them. Yeah. And now I think there's a bill for the state of California to decriminalize. Things will catch up eventually yeah. to where the shaman have been for many yeah. millennia. Where did you go after all of what was next? Cause you, when did you leave Texas then? Um, I left Texas. Well, I, so I kind of left Texas twice. So mm. right after high school, I moved to Austin, failed out of the University of Texas because I was too busy partying. My apartment backed up to a fraternity house. And so I could go out my back window and into their pool. Um, so I spent a lot of time in their pool. And then I could crawl back through my bedroom window to get back home. <laughs> It's a crazy place to live as a freshman in college. So so I failed out, and then I shacked up with a boyfriend, and we ended up moving out to Lake Elsinore and lived with his mother. It's a horrible decision. Um, and I, so I spent a year in Lake Elsinore and Paris and that whole sort of weird, bizarre Paris, section. Paris, Texas, yeah. No, Paris, California. Oh, Paris, California. Lake Elsinore and Paris, California. Okay. Yeah, which is also a very odd part of California hmm. and Menifee and and that didn't last very long and then I moved back to Texas and back to Corpus Christi and continued with my college there and then I had a boyfriend um yeah rape me and try to kill me and threaten to kill me and it was like this whole big thing and I couldn't get any legal help because uh he was claiming that I was into rough sex I was claiming I was raped the judge decided to believe him over me. It was, you what know, year was 1990. Yeah, okay. And uh, I couldn't even get a restraining order against him. And then he started doing crazy things like uh, leaving messages on my voicemail, which is a tape that was, I'm going to kill you, chop you up into a million pieces and spread you all over the freeway so no one will be able to find all of you. But he would he would mask his voice. So you couldn't tell it was him. He was doing it from a payphone, so there was no way to prove that it was him. But every single time I would call the police and make a report, and then I would say it was him. And they'd be like, well, you can't prove that. He left a butcher knife in my door with a note, a bloody note, had blood on it that said, you're next. He slashed the tires in my car and the windows of and my car. forensic science wasn't really where... <laughs> it was just on the forefront of things. It was just on the forefront of things. And, and, and I was... Botched. And 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 to be honest, the legal system wasn't even taking any of it seriously. They really weren't. They were like, okay, we're taking another report. Oh, she called us again, taking another report. It, but they weren't taking it seriously. And there weren't, like, security cams I could put and up. And you had broken up with him at this point? I broke up with him. The So I broke up with him over the phone. And that night, he came to my house banging on the door saying, I have to talk to you. I have to talk to you. I'm like, well, let's talk through the door. And he's like, no, come on. And I'm like, just grab your stuff and go. And I broke up with him because I caught him in several unforgivable lies. And so finally I put the chain on the door because he was like, just let us talk through the door. And so I, I opened the door for the chain and he was a big guy, six foot four, six foot two, something like that. And he busted the door open, broke the hinges, threw me to the floor. We started wrestling and fighting. He's like, I just want to talk to you. And he picks me up and throws me down and then grabs the phone cable out of the wall and hog ties me. And then at that point, I was like, 
uh, I need to stop fighting or I'm going to get seriously fucking hurt. So then I'm like hogtied lying on my side on the couch while he's talking to me. No fucking idea what he said. Even the, the judge and the attorneys and all the stuff, when I talked to him, I was like, what did he say to you? I'm like, I have no recollection. Did you not show, show the... Oh, I had marks on my wrists. Yeah. I had um, fingerprint bruises mm -hmm. on my neck. But he's just saying, oh, she likes it rough. Uh-huh. I had he a full... night? Yeah, he raped me that night. I had a full slap mark on my face. Um, I had bruises on my thighs. I had bruises on my ankles. I had marks where the phone cable was on my ankle. I had marks fucking all over the place photographs blah 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 the judge decided that it was he said she said and i'm into rough sex and i had remorse so they he wasn't going to take down john fuck yeah yeah but he was a psychopath he was an actual psychopath and you know after the like like he would slash a tire and i would you know go and get it replaced and then he would slash a different tire. Did you know it was him that doing that? It was it was either him or a friend of his. But uh, this was pre this that night. No, this, this is, is all post. So leading up to that night, leading although leading up thing, to that night, this is the thing that I think is so important to say okay. because I think a lot of times, first of all, there's a lot of victim blaming, right, and rape and and abuse right, right, right. and all that stuff. And here you are with a degree in these kinds of people and you still end up with... So I went and got my degree because of this incident that this happened is, okay, to me. Okay, well, all right. So the incident happened to me. So let me do this the I, timeline. I do, I do want to say that yeah. just for anyone listening that it is... Because I've dated a couple psychos. Not that not that level of psycho, but, but pretty fucking crazy. Yeah. And you... You don't really know. They gaslighted you the don't fuck know. out of you. He gaslighted the fuck out of me. He gaslighted the fuck out of my parents. We're, my parents loved him. Yeah, we're smart women. And, and it he happens. was charming and big and muscular and talked a really good talk about how he wanted to take care of me. And in every way that I admired my father, he became those things. And how did you meet him? Uh, college. Yeah. We were in a college class together. Mm -hmm. uh, this was in Corpus Christi, Texas. So I had moved to Lake Elsinore and then moved back. Mm -hmm. And so when I moved back is when I met John. And he, and that wasn't ended up not being his real name. It was weird. He was enrolled in college as John. But he was oh, Turned out, and I'll get to that part of the story, when he finally did end up going to prison, they found out that wasn't his name at all. Did you send him to prison? I did not. Unfortunately, somebody else did that was connected to me. So uh, this is a crazy story. So I've moved back um, to Corpus Christi from California. It's 1990, uh, 1990, 91, something like that. And uh, I'm in a different classes and I meet him in one class and he asked me out and we start dating. And... He just seems like a really great guy who's got his shit together. He's getting a business degree. Um, he's got all these wonderful ideas. His mother is a, a, a real estate agent and a very good one in town. And and uh, his mother's really sweet. And my parents like him. And my dad likes taking him out on the ranch. I grew up on a, on a in Corpus Christi, but we also had a ranch like 30 minutes outside of town. And so I grew up with house horses and cattle and whatever. And so everything seemed great. And then John had contacted me to say that he needed some money because his mother was arrested. 
and and all the charges were false but he needed to bail her out and he didn't have the money and then as soon as everything got got situated that he would be able to pay me back and i was like well okay but something in me and i don't know what made me call the police station corpus christi's not that big to find out if she was arrested and what the charges were. Because I kept saying, what are the charges? And he goes, I don't know. I don't know. It was something ridiculous, but I don't know. So I called the, so I said, okay, well, I don't personally have the money. I have to call my dad, so give me some time. And I called the police station. And according to the name that I knew his mother to have, she hadn't been arrested. No woman by that name had been arrested. No woman by that name had ever been arrested. So... I was like, well, this is kind of strange. And so I explained the situation that this, my boyfriend told me he needs money to bail his mother out. And this is the woman's name. She's a real estate agent. These are her billboards, blah, 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 blah. And the guy behind the desk says, oh, that woman. Well, that woman has for fraud several times. I was like, what? He goes, and her name isn't whatever it was. I was like, well, that's fucked up. So I called John back and I'm like, so I just got off the phone with the police station and they said that your mother wasn't arrested, nor is that her name. She has been arrested before, but for fraud. And I can't help you with that if she's in jail for fraud. Like, I, I'm not going to give you bail money and, and you're lying to me. She's, And then we got into this big argument on the phone and how dare you call the police station. You don't trust me. How dare you challenge me on my lie. Yeah. Yeah. And so we got into this big argument and I said, I'm done. I'm done with you. I don't want to have anything to do with you. Like, this is, this is not okay. I'm not okay with lying, blah, blah, blah. And I said, we're through. We're done. I'm going to pack up your things, put it in a bag. It'll be outside my door. Come get it. Don't ever call me again. And, um, and I hung up the phone. And it just kept ringing and ringing and ringing and ringing. And I wouldn't answer it. And that's when he came to my door and showed up and banging, banging, banging on my door. And it was late at night and it was, uh, I'm in an apartment complex and I didn't, you know, I was like, shh, shh, you know, calm down. And, um, and he, and he wouldn't stop and we're talking through the door. And then I finally put the chain on and opened the door and he busts it and in. And at this point you probably aren't, you, had he exhibited any nothing abuse. he's never been violent to me so your never been to call the police or anything didn't cross your mind because he's just pissed he's just pissed he doesn't want me to break up with him mm -hmm. and he's trying to back channel the lie mm -hmm. and and he told me that his mother called him from prison or from jail and that's why he was calling me that it was his mother who was lying it wasn't him mm -hmm. gaslight <laughs> gaslight gaslight I was like, okay, mm -hmm. well, whether it's your mother or you, I don't want to have anything to do with either one of you. And um, and that's when the whole incident happened um, where he hogtied me. And then, and it's not easy to, to hogtie a hog, let alone a person, but he was so much bigger than me and would sit on me. Well, and again, I'd like to reiterate that you are tiny. I am. I'm five feet tall. And at the time I weighed a hundred pounds. Mm-hmm. Um, and he would easily just pick me up and move me around. And then he sat on me. He physically sat on me and I couldn't breathe. Um, and then, you know, I'm, I'm tied up and he, and for those who don't know what hog tying is, it's when your ankles are tied together and your wrists are tied together behind your back. And then your wrists and your ankles are tied together. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's, it's in a position that's 
uncomfortable for your shoulders and your hips to the point where they'll pop out of the socket. And he did pop my left shoulder slightly out of the socket um, doing that. So then after uh, talking for a period of time and me trying to figure out how to get out of this horrible situation, he informs me that he is going to have sex with me again. And he said he wanted one more time. And I said, no. And he goes, that's not your choice. And he picked me up, threw me over his shoulder, took me into the bedroom, untied my ankles and raped me. And there was really nothing I could do about it. I had a partially dislocated left shoulder. I was in a state of shock. You're tied I up. Tied okay. up. Mm -hmm. I don't. He weighs don't three times as much as you. Don't actually fully, even to this day, remember uh, like everything that went down at that point. I'm like sure once he, he picked me up and yeah. carried me into sure. the bedroom, then your it was, brain went into protection. Uh, mode. Yeah, yeah. So it was. It was. I'm really. Insanity. I'm sorry that that happened just i mean that's like the worst thing a person could say but it's it's the only thing yeah that, you know to say it's just like fuck what the fuck yeah yeah what the fuck yeah yeah he did end up going to prison so he so because of that rape um i got pregnant and i uh so a few weeks later and I'm dealing with the legal stuff and he's you know knife and door slashing tires never slashed anything I did new which was weird like he would break a window and I would get it fixed and he would break a different window and I would get it fixed he'd break it different. I ended up with four new tires and all new windows on my car what the fuck he's a psychopath yeah, yeah. I mean like like yeah. like even the officers would be like well at least he's not breaking the new ones but that's a little fucked up like he, he would break a window in my apartment. So they know break he's doing window. that, but they can't do anything? Like, There's what? no way to prove that it was him. Yeah. Or, you I've know. had that experience with police officers where they say, we know who this person is, but we can't do anything about it unless you physically saw them do it or somebody else that's not you saw them yeah. do it. My very first boyfriend um, in high school um, came to my rescue. He was my fucking hero. He and his D&D &D friends um, all took this on as like... Almost like a, it's almost like a game, but it was protect, uh, protect Carol, and um, one would sleep in my car uh, with a camera. They were all just the the job was just get a picture of him doing it or mm -hmm. who's doing it. Mm -hmm. So they would sleep in my car with a camera, and this is there's no fucking cell phones or internet or there's no webcams. There's no there's no, no street cameras. There's no street really. cameras. And now like, everything is the apartment complex had no cameras. It was sure. no you would have to the amount of money it would take to hardwire in a security system just to catch this guy slashing my tires wasn't going to happen. So. Uh, one guy would, uh, my, my ex, my original boyfriend, he would sleep in my apartment on the couch and he, you know, he would have a camera and then somebody would be in their own car across the street and they would have a camera and everyone was just trying to catch him. And only like a handful, like literally five people knew that I, when I fa figured out that I was pregnant, um, and I was about four or five weeks in when we figured it out, knew and my college professor, I had told the whole story to, I was taking a sociology class that was Criminal Justice 101, just to fulfill sociology. And I went to him because it was criminal justice. And I'm like, this is what's going on with me. This is the whole situation. And I don't know what to do. And my grades were slipping and blah, blah, blah. And he just looked at me and he goes, 
you need to leave town. The law is not going to protect you. Meanwhile, you probably got and some like, serious PTSD and unbelievable. And and he said, just, "I have just talking about this right now. I didn't, nobody can see this, but me. But the whole top of your. I mean, I know you've done massive work and all that. It's all getting red. It's all getting red. Yeah, the whole top of your." your chest is getting red yeah. I'm, I'm watching it change color as you're talking and i'm fidgeting and i'm i mean antsy it's, a, it's and a fucking lot i mean it's a lot it's it, a lot to go through i ran for my life i ran for my life i couldn't even tell my parents where i was going i didn't know who to trust where did you go uh, huntsville texas so that college professor said i have friends that teach up in Huntsville, you have an aptitude for criminal justice, and I think it would help you mentally to continue studying. Um, you can go there tomorrow, pack up all your things, get in a car, go up to Huntsville. It would have been a uh, seven-hour drive, six-hour drive, and um, and you can start school on Monday. I think this was like a Wednesday. He helped you pull some strings to get in. He pulled all the strings up at Sam Houston State. I didn't even go through admissions. I just showed up, signed the paperwork for uh, my loan, yeah, and started school up there. It's an angel. And got me into a dormitory, and... Not all heroes wear capes. Nope. Somewhere, the leather elbow patches. Leather elbow patches. <laughs> I know. He was great. He was, he was just my amazing savior, and he would call me every once in a while. Once I got up there, I gave him my phone number when I was up there, and he would call me every once in a while to ask me how I was doing. I was able to do a protective order, not a restraining order. Um, so the campus police knew about him and photographs and everything just in case he came looking for me. Did he? He did, but he didn't come looking for me. Now, this is the psychopath situation. He kidnapped a friend of mine that we looked a lot alike, like we could have been sisters. And when I left and disappeared, all I did, because I realized there was somebody in, because he found out I was pregnant and only five people knew. So it was one of those there five. There was a mole. And I didn't know who it was. So I just told those people that I was getting out of my apartment. I was going to go stay with a friend until I could figure out a safe place to go. Because he knew where I lived. I had to get out of there. Well, what I did was drive up to Huntsville. Um, uh, Renee, my savior and my hero, drove with me, up, moved all my stuff, drove with me up to Huntsville and made sure I was safe up there. I knew it wasn't him. He was protecting me. If it was him, that would have been the most fucked up mole. The teacher, you mean? No. You know, he was my first boyfriend. He was the one that was sleeping on my couch with a camera and got all of his friends to try to catch this guy on camera. We never did. We all knew it was him. So, so he moved me up and all of a sudden, my one of my friends gets kidnapped. John broke into her apartment, breaking and entering, stole her gun, theft of a firearm. Uh, when she got home, kidnapped her at gunpoint, um, kidnapping, uh, assault with a deadly weapon, calling her by my name, and forced her into her car, Grand Theft Auto, uh, and said, I'm going to make you have the babies. And I was pregnant with twins. And no, like so few people knew that, but I had a, a one of my my best friend in the world, my girlfriend, best friend in the world, had a crush on him, and told him everything. How can you have it? See, this is the thing when people say, "How do people marry Ted Bundy in prison?" or "How do people, 
you know, Charles Manson send him love letters and this kind of stuff. It's like, yeah, that's, it's so nutty to me. So the girl that he, um, oh. it's so funny, I can't remember her name, but the girl that he kidnapped, um, they were, he was, they were driving and somewhere between Corpus Christi and Houston, she saw a sheriff's car and pulled him off the, pushed him off the side of the road, jumps out of the car screaming, he's Grabbed got a gun, he's got a gun. Grab the steering wheel, you mean? She was driving. She was, oh, she was driving in her, in her own car and he had a gun, Dang her gun know. at her side. Fuck. Drive. And she realized she'd rather die than be with this guy kidnapped and whatever fate would befall her so she you know somehow steered her car into the sheriff's car and forced him off the road and jumps out of the car screaming he's got a gun all of this was in the newspaper the whole story which is how i know it and uh and uh john gets out of the car puts the gun down on top of the car and walks up to the cop with his arms out like go ahead fucking arrest me i don't fucking care and he gets arrested and those were his five Is he charges. Still in jail? No. Mm -mm. And he ends up in a fucking prison in Huntsville, where I'm going to school. I mean, to be fair, most of the prisons are in Huntsville, but uh, there's 13. When I was going to school, there were 13 prisons, nine state and four federal in Huntsville, Texas. And he ended up in one of them. But in Texas, they separate the sex offenders from the other offenders because sex offenders are their own special thing. And if you put them in general population, they won't survive. He was in general population because none of those five charges was a sexual offense. But he raped me, and I'm now going to school with a whole bunch of prison guards because there was a work-study program where you could get a job as a prison guard in exchange for your college tuition. So all the people in my class, all the guys are, well, not all of them, but a lot of them are prison guards. And I'm telling this story of this horrible thing that happened to me and that's how I ended up in Huntsville. Why are you in Huntsville? How come you got to start school just like that? And, -da 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 -da. and I tell this whole story and I have the campus police has my protective order and da 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 and this is what the guy looks like. If you see him, you know, let me know. Blah, blah, blah. So one day, I'm in class. Huge lecture class. Probably 150, 200 people in this class. <clears throat> and I'm off to the side in the middle and I'm just listening to the class and like four guys come and sit down around me. A couple of them I knew. And one guy that I knew sits down next to me and leans over and he goes, you're a guy, just want you to know Just Desserts was served. And then the four guys get up and walk out. And this was like a year and a half into me going to school there. It wasn't immediate. And I was just, it was like, I still to this day have no idea. I have no idea what they did to his, him. Do you know his real, can you? Look up to see what his real name was. I it was in the newspaper. Yeah, but could, was there any way to? You probably just didn't want to know, but I don't remember it now. It was in. It was published in the newspaper. No, no, I don't mean his name. I mean whatever befell him. Oh, what, whatever befell what him. They did to him. I um, I mean, uh, who knows? <laughs> Do you know? I I don't know. To this day, I don't know what befell him. He didn't die. They didn't kill him. Uh, I was in. I had already moved to California, uh, maybe a couple years, and my mother sent me a news article that he had been released. 
he got 10 years, and I think he only served maybe seven and a half or eight of it. Um, and then I got really scared because I'm an actress in California and Hollywood and I'm trying to make it and be on a TV show or a commercial and I'm like wait a minute and I had changed my name legally so it's not like he could find me by my old name but now he could just see me on a movie screen and find me so then I started getting a little scared because he was free and clear and open and um so uh yeah I, I don't know what befell him I'm assuming he was gang raped I'm assuming that too. I'm assuming that 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 that's what happened to him. But I have I never asked. I saw those guys again. I mean, I had another two and a half years of school to go through. How did you deal with the pregnancy and the re-traumatization of your I, body? I, mean, I had an abortion. Yeah, I was no know. way I was going to splice my DNA with that psychopath. No, obviously, clearly. But I'm what I'm asking is, I mean, it seems like a no-brainer decision. But how how was that for you trying? Because you've already been bodily traumatized yes oh emotionally traumatized so, now you have to go through this other traumatic yeah thing yeah yeah i it was it was an it was a constant state of numb it was it literally for a year maybe two um it was like my i wasn't attached to my body it was it was literally like a state of numb um i couldn't be in relationships i wouldn't have sex with anyone i wouldn't you know i i surrounded myself though with really amazing men like like the rugby team or the the prison guards or i always found my knights in shining armor like i always had a round table like like it, it was befitting for me to get named athena because I always ended up at that point, I always had an army around me that worshipped me, that protected me. Like tiny little Athena is going to always have all these amazing, incredible men. It's wild to think that here you were in ownership of your body as a stripper. Right. And then to have that ownership. So the stripper came after. Oh. I didn't become a stripper until I started school at Sam Houston State. Okay. So. And that was, that was 91, so 92, so um, maybe a semester later after starting there, then I became a stripper. Okay, let's talk about that for an unpack that a second. You then, backwards, you had your body taken from you, and now you're, what, trying to reclaim it? Is that sort of what drew you to it? Was was it was literally just money. money. It was literally just money. I'm like, you made $2,000 in a night, and I was working at a dollar store shelving crap for mm. people to buy. But you've... For minimum well, you wage. You must have been... You said it was fun to be a stripper. It was super fun. Yeah, but you... I always just, I was a little kid that liked performing. I did no, all the I, little I musical that, theater but I'm thinking and stuff of how, like that. You know, you're you're talking about being disassociated from your body, and then so many. It's I think to to be empowered enough to get up on a stage and and be naked and be like, this is me and all that. That's the one variable, and then there's this other variable where there are a lot of women who have been violated and sexually assaulted that end up as strippers and sex workers and stuff like that and it's weird because it almost sounds like you're sort of in the middle of that yeah you yeah know? it is weird yeah yeah, yeah it's interesting i can't ex can't explain it it literally was just money 
I didn't want to work for minimum wage shelving shit for the dollar store. But was there a feeling of power, taking your power back? I mean, maybe. Because maybe. you're not having to have sex with these people, but you're, you know what I mean? That, that I'm fascinated by this stuff. So. Well, it wasn't, for me, it wasn't sexual. I never saw stripping as sexual. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. You, so you have a power over your body being non-sexual, but you're performing this act where other people are, are seeing perceiving you. it as, per- as sexual. Sexualization. Yeah. Of a, yeah. It's just fascinating. And to it me. just wasn't. Yeah. But I find that happens to me now, where like just how I dress or the way I, I hold myself, my composure. Or your Instagram, you get a lot of nakedness. In well, there. I got a lot of nakedness on my Instagram. That's that's more of the uh, cushy Tuesdays. <laughs> That's a, an ends to a means. I mean, it's, 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 um, I have a great ass. I was blessed DNA wise to, um, it's, it's a combination. So from the waist up, I am my mother's DNA. And from the waist down, I am my father's DNA, except for, of course, that one little spot. spot. Um, but my hips, I inherited from my dad's side of the family. And my tiny rib cage and tiny waist, I inherited from my mother. You're built like a Kardashian, but you didn't have to pay any money for it. Yes. I, I, Although, I, yeah, I mean... I, I actually think I'm built better than the Kardashians. They're... That's not... I meant the butt part, because they, they have a I am a walking Gaston Lachey. I am Henry Moore. I am... Um, uh, Robert Graham, although he did more muscular pieces, but I actually worked with Graham. You have a very feminine. You're very feminine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. So I, I, it, it's, it's, you know, it's a DNA crapshoot, and I won that one. <laughs> <laughs> so I just. Well, you're also beautiful. Thank I mean, you for sure, and I, your hair is incredible. Yeah, th- again. It's DNA. Yeah. It's like I, I'm not doing anything to make it look like this. Yeah, it's I have natural gunmetal gray yeah, hair. Yeah, silver gray. That's just lovely. And you start going gray at an early age? 25. And I dyed my hair from 25 to 38. And then mm-hmm. I stopped dyeing my hair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. How did you extricate yourself from all that trauma? Um. So there was, at my university, at Sam Houston State, there was a group meeting for victims of crimes and my school counselor recommended that I attend and I attended quite a number of gatherings and it was uh, almost always women every once in a while there'd be a guy that would show up that was molested or abused as a child but for the most part it was all women and whenever a guy did show up all the women were like oh my god i'm so sorry because it's one thing for a woman to be abused as a child or otherwise um and i, I don't know i'm saying that any abuse is good I'm not saying that but in texas to have your masculinity stripped from you as a child is worse than than if it happened to a little girl it's all bad it's all bad and it's all wrong so when the guys would show up it would be like all the women would all of a sudden be like okay what happened to me wasn't nearly as bad as what happened to you and i realized isn't it funny how we do that with traumas we do that we're like oh your trauma is better or worse than mine yeah it's insane which is insane and that's what i ended up doing horrible what happened to a lot of these women made me realize i had an incident in my life 
this one guy, one time, one thing, like there was all the added fear what drove me to Huntsville. I get that. But some of these women, you know, just from the time that they were six years old had been penetrated by somebody and abused and had their body robbed, their childhood robbed of them. I had a fucking amazing childhood. I mean, my parents were married 57 years. They loved each other. They loved every day they were together. They loved me. I have three phenomenal siblings that are incredible and loving, and we all get along, and none of us hate each other. We don't have any of this. I'm not talking to him ever again. I don't know. I can't tell you. It was like I, I, almost all my friends have someone they're not talking to anymore. It's like in their family. I didn't have any of that. Um... I grew up with like two homes, but it was both of our homes. We had the city house and we had the ranch house. I had horses. I got to play with cows. I had all this acreage that I could wander around at and explore and learn and I could get hurt and, you know, it was okay and I could eat mud pies and everything was fine. I learned how to water ski. It was like blessed fucking childhood and I had a psychopath in my life and that's what I, I that's what I came to terms with is that that incident isn't me. It it's, didn't define you. It doesn't define me. It's not my identity. It's not who I am. That's who he is. That's a reflection on him. He is a psychopath. I learned I, I you know maybe I got into the serial into the crime serial world studying it because what makes someone's brain do that? What? Why does your brain say that's okay to you? And all the different levels of psychopathy. There's, there's between the narcissists and the yeah. sociopaths and the, and just the plain old gaslighting boyfriend, girlfriend, you know, the manipulator, the manipulator and the passive aggressive, the liar. And the liar, and then the full the liars on that lie psychopath. so much they believe their own lies. Yeah, absolutely. And then you have this guy John, who is a or whatever the fuck his name is. It was a complete psychopath mm. delusional psychopath mm. I found out later that he was like one of these kids that hurt animals hurt pets it's a big red flag yeah huge red flag I just started watching uh, the Netflix series Don't Fuck With Cats oh I heard about that Holy yeah shit. I don't know if I can watch that it's there are certain shows like I almost well done, but didn't watch M Mindhunter for mm. the for that sort of that I mean, same, that makes sense. Yeah. same reason, but um, but yeah. So, um, but I you know finished school and it took me five years to finish college, and I did. And then when I got done, I wanted to be a Texas Ranger, and uh, what it would take for me to make it through that good old boy system was not something I was willing to do, and I had an agent. Uh, in Houston just for fun because why not and she said to me she's like look I don't say this to many of my clients but you're one of the few people that could probably make it in Hollywood so if you're looking for an out go packed up all my shit in a U-Haul put my car in a trailer and I drove out to LA rented an apartment out of the LA Times sight unseen moved in with two people I had met in one workshop once one was a cop of many, many years uh, from Long Island, Long Island, which he taught me how to say, because it's not Long Island. Um, 
And then the other guy was this amazing um, little comedic actor, uh, five feet tall. We were like the same height. And uh, Bill. And he was moving out as well. And so the three of us, the cop, the jester, and the Jew, all moved into an apartment in Sherman Oaks. That was a threes company like nobody's business. I'm still stripping. The, the Robert is trying desperately to protect me every way that he possibly can. The cop. Yeah, the cop. And he came out to Hollywood to write cop stories. And he had some great, great cop stories. I have a degree in criminal justice. He's what I study. And so it was wonderful knowing him. And he did become a police writer on a show. I don't remember which one. And then he wrote a play. Um, and then he went back to New York, and it got produced in New York. And he's he's doing great. Um and uh, Bill and I stayed great friends. We even roommated at another place. And um, and then ultimately he moved back to Rhode Island. And he's got an amazing life and wife and kids. And, and uh, uh, but yeah, I moved out there. I didn't know either one of these guys. I'm moving into an apartment in an area I don't know anything about. I did call the police department, gave them the address, what's the crime rates for the area. Yeah, I do that every time I rent a place. Yeah, I do that every single yeah, time. Yeah, smart. And then, although now we can just go on that's, the internet. That's and what I'm saying, up. yeah. I and then uh, I was there for a while and then you know, hopped around in various places in L.A. And I've been here since June of 1996. I almost want to have you back for the second half of your life. Sure. And then what's coming next? That's what I'm saying. Uh, you leave when? Uh, February 11th. Can I get you back? Yeah. Because I think this would be a great two-parter. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I'll come back. I'd love to stop here. And but so I mean, much part more. two. There's there's so much coming for you. You're yeah. you're a fascinating woman. Thank you. I mean, wow, just wow, and what you've been through and where you're heading. And um, you've told me about. And I'm just gonna give a little. You know, the, the what you're planning on doing, yeah. I think, is incredible. I think it's going to be huge. Thank you. I really do. And I think it's so needed. Um, so I'm excited Thank about you. it. And I would love to cover that, too. Yeah. But I'm also fascinated by the Burning Man community. I'm and happy to tell you. That's just 13, really, 14, 15 years of my life. Yeah. And just really quickly say what it We'll just tell, say what the title of, of what you were there. Okay. No, yeah. According to Burning Man, I was a regional contact for Los Angeles. So I was the Burning Man ambassador to Los Angeles. And my duties were to foster the Burning Man community in Los Angeles and build it. Mm. And I did that by producing events, producing art, producing educational projects um, year-round. And let people know, some people might not know what Burning Man is. Burning Man is a one of the greatest social experiments in the world, and I highly recommend everyone just do a YouTube search for Burning Man. Um, you'll see tons of videos. Videos are the best way to get an idea of the art of Burning Man. You can look at images too, but the videos are better. Just really quick too, tell everybody how to find you in the interim. Okay, so I'm getting ready to do a transition um, and... Let's keep the, the the website isn't up yet, right? No, okay, not till so the end of this keep, month. Let's keep that, that for down. the next... So right now go to Instagram mm -hmm. and you can find me at Athena.demos A-T-H-E-N-A 
Demos, and my actor site is athenademos.tv and those are the best places where you can find me on Instagram and go ahead and go to my Instagram and join it there's a ton of photos up there beautiful on photo. you're a really extraordinary photographer as well thank you it's like, what else do you I mean you're thank it's you. great and every on. Tuesday almost every Tuesday I try every Tuesday why well, I will publish a uh, photo of my glorious bottom and it's called Tushy Tuesday if you search Tushy Tuesday on Instagram you won't find anything I have been informed by Instagram that they've disconnected me from my hashtag they can't take my photos down because I'm not violating their community standards but I think they just want to I don't know <laughs> I just don't know but go directly to my site and there are some beautiful photos of my ass and on my website when I launch it um, it'll be much easier to find them because I'll have a tushy page yeah we'll get to all that for part two thank you for being here you're welcome and uh, we'll make a plan for the next part two and everybody thank you for listening and uh, take care of each other bye bye Thanks for listening to part one of Athena's episode 196 and part two is already up and you can go check that one out immediately if you are so inclined. Rate and review Hey Human on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. Thanks. Thanks.